Hello, my name is Bidemi Ologunde and you are listening to episode 183 of the Bid Picture Podcast. So on this episode, I'll talk about online dating scams, how they work and why people fall for them, the kind of people who get targeted and what dating sites could do to reduce or prevent these dating scams. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. So according to the Pew Research Service, about 30% of Americans have tried an online dating service. Some people have found compatible matches and even long-time partners. But other online romance ventures have ended in frustration, harassment, or even outright fraud. Some of the saddest cases have seen people give hundreds or thousands of dollars to someone they met online. Some people think they are lending money to help the person through a rough patch. Others believe they are being let in on a savvy investment. In both cases, they realized too late that this was a scam all along. Americans reported losing nearly $1.3 billion in romance-related fraud between 2017 and 2021. And that's according to the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, which is greater than any other category of fraud that is tracked by this agency, the FCC, including online shopping scams, imposter fraud, and even identity theft. So the FCC says that likely understates the damage since many people don't even report such losses. So why do some people become victims of online dating scams and what exactly can be done to prevent it? So usually, the scammer search for a victim starts on one of the many dating platforms. However, scammers have recently begun targeting the more ethnically oriented dating sites. So the scammers typically target older, poorer, less educated, and single people. They can also scan dating and social media profiles to find people who idealize romantic partners and relationships and therefore might seem more gullible. So following the identification of a potential victim, the scammer presents the picture of an attractive man or woman. Typically, a perpetrator emphasizes their credibility and social attractiveness. Scammers will often present themselves as individuals with authority, such as influential business people, military personnel, research scientists, and so on. Typically, a scammer creates a false identity, not just on social media, but by acquiring an identity document, for example, a fake ID card. Research has revealed many occasions where the eventual victim had asked to see an ID while in the online phase of a romance, or even in person, if the romance advances to that point. However, scammers are very savvy about creating authentic-looking fake IDs. So if that person who is trying to scam the victim is too quick to share their ID, chances are that relationship is fake. So scammers sometimes use doctored pictures to show themselves with famous personalities. Some of them may use deep fake software, which allows a person to swap their face for someone else's face in either a photo or a video. In addition, scammers will often research their victims to see who the victims like, 
who the victims admire, and so on. There are instances where perpetrators claimed to be nurses working at military bases in the Middle East and then sent pictures of what they claimed was themselves dressed up in scrubs. At some point, these fake nurses sent pictures of themselves with army generals that they claimed to be visiting on those military bases. So based on the information gathered during the grooming stage, the scammer would express enthusiasm for individuals or institutions in which the victim may place their trust, such as alumni networks, religious places of worship, or celebrity connections. The more successful scammers spend significant time and effort on this grooming stage before engaging in actual fraudulent acts. So in terms of establishing trust, there was an elaborate scheme where a scammer reached out to the victim via Facebook and then used the publicly available information on Facebook to investigate the victim's friends and connections. The information was later used to establish social connections with the victim. Online interactions then resulted in face-to-face meetings, a false promise of love, and eventually a story of financial trouble and the need for help. This kind of targeted social engineering attack emphasized similar likes and dislikes to that of the victim. In terms of convicting the victim to turn over money, the scammer may send a small gift or flower to the victim. In return, the victim may comply with a request to send a small amount of money. Research suggests that when people abide by the first request, they are more likely to comply with subsequent requests. So in one case, a 50-year-old woman was scammed by a perpetrator who posed as a high-ranking military official. The perpetrator was knowledgeable about military jargon and the subtleties of the job. The woman began trusting the scammer since her dad was a veteran. So after establishing trust, the scammer started sending small gifts to the victim. This continued for over a year, after which the scammer then asked for $5,000 on the pretext of having to pay for a credit card bill. So the excuse was that his salary wasn't released, that the scammer's salary wasn't released, and he was moving back after military deployment. So the scammer actually returned the $5,000 after about a week. So a series of requests followed this, resulting in a total of $250,000 given to the scammer by the victim. All along, the victim kept believing in the individual and was actually confident that he would return the money. After all, he had returned an initial $5,000 and he had sent gifts to the victim for over a year. Unfortunately, the scammer never returned the total of $250,000. Some scammers seek other rewards besides financial gain. For example, extorting sexual favors has been widely reported. This can happen when the perpetrator threatens the victim by distributing sexual images or intimate messages procured during the grooming stage. Sometimes, a scam may result in identity theft or involuntary involvement in money laundering. 
In other cases, victims have been used as couriers for smuggling drugs, money, or other goods. So why do people fall for these hoaxes and scams? That's because romance scammers create situations with an increased likelihood of poor decision-making. So I'll say that again. Why do people fall for these scams? Simply because these scammers would create and foster situations with an increased likelihood of the victim to make bad decisions. Scammers also focus on visceral triggers, where the victim believes that there are significant benefits to such a relationship. For example, in one case, the scammer insisted on the victim joining an insurance pyramid scheme where each participant recruits or sells insurance policies to other participants. In the process, the scammer was showcasing the engagement's potential profitability. Meanwhile, the ground was being set for a potentially bigger scam. Another question is, what types of people seem more likely to become victims? So while little is known about victims of romance scams, women are reported to lose more significant sums of money. In most cases, the victims are older than 40, with the age range of 50 to 59 being the most vulnerable. Data also suggests that financial loss increases with the victim's age. So what could dating sites do to reduce or prevent these scams? First, dating sites should have technical trust-building mechanisms. For example, simple two-factor authentication can substantially reduce the number of fake accounts by weeding out less sophisticated scammers. The industry also needs to develop a web assurance seal program, basically an outside agency that monitors and ensures that dating sites comply with security policies. In terms of the laws used to prosecute scammers, electronic theft and economic espionage statutes can be applied in some cases. In other cases, the statutes known as access device fraud can also be applied. The problem, however, is not with the legal framework. Rather, the problem is ensuring that individuals are sufficiently warned and aware of the nature, scope, and breadth of romance camps. At the federal level, a governance framework is required to mandate that dating websites operate in a certain manner. So just like the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, known as EPA, exists for the healthcare industry, something similar is required for online dating platforms. So to wrap up, on this episode, I talked about online dating scams, how they work and why people fall for them, the kind of people who get targeted, and what dating sites could do to reduce or prevent these scams. So that's all I have for this episode 183 of the Bid Picture Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bid Picture Podcast is produced by Sunshine Media in association with Alowinly Productions. Fact-checking by Zara Kuznetsova. Audio engineer, Sergei Gorski. 
graphic design, Stacey Graham, senior producer, Bidemi Ologunde, executive producers, Olufolani Ologunde, and Toby Loba Ologunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity's news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Big Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with anyone that you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture, on the Clubhouse app at Beat, as well as on the Wisdom app at BDME. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.